Good morning, church family. I love hearing the conversations happening. Hope you've been doing some, some fun things this summer as you're sharing with your neighbor. Hey, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Joe Polino. I serve as the lead pastor here. I uh, want to welcome you guys to church this morning. Already it's been a rich morning just being in the presence of God. Uh, love that word that Donnie gave about running into the presence of God. And so this, this morning, we're going to keep on just with that attitude of, Lord, what do you have for us? We want to run to you and we're going to run to God's word. And so if you are new with us, uh, we have been in a, uh, a, a prayer theme for the year of 2023 as a church. We've been praying the same prayer over and over again. Church, what is the, what is the prayer that we've been praying? Can someone say it? Make us one. Make us one. So we've been praying this prayer over and over. God, would you make us one with you? Make us one with one another so that the church, so that the world will know who Jesus is. That as we are unified with God and have communion with the church, with the saints, that Jesus would be made known. And so Jesus actually prayed this prayer in John 17. And so this is our way of joining in with Jesus's prayer for, for us, for the church. And the way that we've been going about Okay, how do we actually walk in union with God? How do we walk in communion, this oneness with God? As we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And so we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter four. That's where we are in this journey that we've been on as a church. And so we've been through chapters one through three. And it builds, if you will, to describe like this mountain of, of what God is doing in the world today. Like what in the world is going on? Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us that God created us and God the Father chose us. God the Son redeems us, forgives us our sins, and God the Holy Spirit seals and fills us. And then it talks about what God is doing through the church. And so if you are a maybe more teaching oriented or even like you like philosophy and ideas, you could just stay in Ephesians 1 through 3 for the rest of your life and just ponder these things. But I know I have some practical people in the room who are like, hey, how do I actually live this out at my workplace? What does this impact? How does this impact my family, my relationships? Do I have any practical people in the room? Okay. That's right. Hopefully all of us to some degree want to know how to do that, but some of us more than others. In Ephesians 4 through 6, the last half of the book of Ephesians gets into the practical. So that's where we find ourselves today. If you turn to Ephesians 4, there's actually, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the baskets around you. Uh, if you would like a Bible and you don't have one, please take that as a gift uh, on, uh, from us. We would love for you to have that Bible. But Ephesians 4... Last week, Donnie did a great job of kicking us off and talking about how, uh, how God has unified us into one body, but we have a job to do to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace by being completely humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. So now we're going to start in Ephesians 4 verse 11, and we're going to talk about God maturing us as a church. God maturing us. Now, before we read it, if we think about other areas of our life, we all understand the value of maturing in different areas. For example, how do you mature in your career? Well, depending on your job, 
It probably involves education, probably involves going to get more certification or professional development, maybe making connections, going to certain events. You know that just time itself is not going to mature your career. You know, you might ask, how do I mature uh, academically? How do I mature in my studies? You know, well, you got to show up to class. You got to read. You got to talk to your professors. You know, maybe nowadays you jump on chat GBT and ask AI what the answer is. You know, whatever it is, like you, you, you know that there's a process, you know, and, and then from some of the simple things, my two-year-old uh, son right now is maturing out of diapers, Okay, so we have, uh, yeah, praise God, uh, but also we're not there yet. So Lord help us is more of the prayer. So, but how does he go from wearing a diaper to learning how to go uh, like an adult, going in the potty? You know, well, he needs time. He needs encouragement. And we need paper towels and disinfectant, like close on hand. That's what we need. But the question that I want to pose to you is how do you mature spiritually? How do you mature spiritually? Do you just transpose what the world says of like, okay, well, you need, you need a little bit more of this to self-actualize yourself? What does God's word say of how we actually mature spiritually? And I think we'll be surprised at some of the things and some of the differences between what the world, uh, what the world would say is maturity and what God's word says is maturity. And so this passage is actually going to tell us what God's plan is for maturing his church. What is God's plan for maturing us, for maturing you? And here's what we're going to find. We're going to find that to become mature spiritually, we need to understand three things. So I'm going to give this to you on the front end, then we're going to read the text. We need to understand that there's a problem with immaturity. We need to understand that God has a plan for us to become mature. And then we're going to talk about practicals for us to help us mature. Okay? So nice alliteration there. We got a problem, a plan, and we got some practicals, okay? So as we read Ephesians 4.11, just a reminder God, uh, that it, we have just went through where God, where God is talking about through Paul that we are unified in Christ and that character is of utmost importance. And now he's gonna talk about, okay, so how do we mature? So beginning in verse 11, please, please read with me. It says in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, God, would you help us to grow and mature and help us to understand this passage so it would change our lives? Amen. Okay, so to become spiritually mature, we need to understand that there is a problem with immaturity. So let's read the text again. And if you look on the screen, I just highlighted a few things that underscore that God wants us to mature. 
that this is actually important. It says in verse 11, so Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, there it is again, mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So main point here is that over and over again, he talks about equipping, building, maturing, that we no longer want to remain infants, but he's wanting us to grow into a mature body, just like an infant grows into a mature human being. So God desires for us, the body of Christ, to mature. He desires that the building of the body is needed. We actually need to build up our spiritual muscles. We need to build up one another. He also says that when we become mature, maturity equals more unity. So we start with unity, and when we become mature, the unity deepens. It's a unity of faith, and it's a unity that, of knowing who Jesus is. And then this maturity also looks a little bit different than us just uh, maybe achieving individually. It looks like that we are connected with Jesus at the head, that we're connected with him and that we are actually serving others, not ourselves. So God desires for us, the body of Christ, to mature. But God uses this picture of a body to describe that remaining immature is actually a problem because it says in verse 14 that we should no longer be infants. Now, if you've read the scripture, if you've read the teachings of Jesus, most of the time, Jesus talks about children in a positive way, right? Okay, remember when the, there were parents trying to take their kids to Jesus in the scriptures to, so that Jesus would bless them and the disciples were turning them away and said, no, that's, that's not important enough for Jesus' time. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, let the children come to me. He said, let the children come to me. And then in another part, in Matthew 19, this is one of my favorite parts, that the disciples actually are bold enough to come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the greatest disciple among us? Which is just such an interesting question. You know, like, okay, who is your favorite? Who's going to be the most significant? And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, uh, or sorry, in Matthew um, in Matthew 18, excuse me. He said, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Wow. So he actually puts a child forward as the way, if you don't become humble like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this, so Jesus uses children and childlike faith as an example for us. But here in Ephesians, it's one of the rare places where actually being an infant is not a good thing. It's actually a dangerous thing. What, is, what are some of the dangers? What are the problems with remaining a spiritual infant? Well, we want to enter into the kingdom of God like a child, but we don't want to stay like a child in childish ways. So a problem of remaining a spiritual infant, it says that you are tossed back and forth by the waves of life. 
Donnie just a second ago talked about his young boy and he was afraid of him going into the water while they were at the lake this past weekend. Why? Because he's not able to swim, one, but navigate the waves of life. And so as an infant, you're vulnerable to just the, the trials and waves of life. Another thing is that the infants can be blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Man, I don't know if there's been more of a whirlwind ever in history if you jump on the internet for different types of teaching that we're in. God has, God has called us as a church to be mature over time so that in a world of confusion, we would be able to have a trusted voice and be grounded and be able to actually be salt and light in the world. Amen? Okay. The other thing is that children, it's very sweet and it can be funny, but they can be gullible. You know, they, they, they uh, believe people, but sometimes there are deceitful people who have schemes and they have an agenda to use you or to use uh, the church in different ways. And if you're spiritually immature, you won't be able to see through that. Okay. And then there's also just the simple, like as a child, you're learning different things. Like my son is learning how to uh, go in the toilet, a very important skill for life, but he's not quite yet prepared for good works that I know one day that he is going to mature into. And I'm like, even God, would you give me spiritual insight to who this, this boy is going to become, right? So God wants us to mature. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why, why is this message so important to us here at Antioch Dallas? I think one of the reasons is because in our environment, in our Christian culture, a lot of times we can stop at Ephesians 1 through 3 where it talks about we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And then we're like, okay, I crossed the finish line. I'm done. I'm gonna hold on until Jesus comes back. But here it's talking about that Saving grace, when you believe in Christ and you have been forgiven of your sins, you have right relationship with God, there's eternal life. Like, it's amazing. It is, there is no greater treasure and gift, but it is not the finish line. It is the starting line for you. It's the starting line for us because he says, you're a spiritual infant now. You're a child of God. You were you know, classified as a Jew or a Gentile. Now you are a new humanity. You're a part of the church. You're a part of something new that God's doing. That's amazing. So what do you do with that? We don't sit back and just say, okay, I'm just gonna try to preserve or maintain what I have. God wants us to mature and to grow. But what is the manner in which God wants us to grow? Because like I said, if you think about developing in your career or developing in your own life, a lot of times that looks different than what this scripture is talking about. So I have a table up here. My wife and I were talking about these things. She actually brought up this point. My wife, Amy, what does maturity in the world versus maturity in the church look like? Well, just some examples that we thought about. Maturity in the world, it thinks of becoming the best version of myself. Not necessarily a bad thing, but that's the focus. It's a self-focused uh, goal of maturity. Maturity in the church thinks of becoming more unified with God and with the church. Actually, it's less about, hey, did I achieve my goals? But it's, am I more connected with God? And I, am I more connected with the church? Are we being made one? That's what maturity looks like according to the scripture, that we would be part of the body of Christ more and more, okay? So what else does it look like? In the world, working to achieve your individual goals. Again, not a bad thing, 
But what does it look like in the church? It looks like working to build others up. The more that you look to serve God and serve others, the more mature we'll be. That's, the, that's how, how we will know that we're growing as a church. And then the other, the last one is that as you uh, are maturing in your career or maybe in your finances or you're achieving your goals, a lot of times that lends itself to mean that you are more independent from others. You're independently wealthy. Maybe you uh, are in a position in your career where you can be your own boss. And again, those things are not bad, but it's just flipped with the church. Instead, maturity looks like more interdependence in the body of Christ. So it's like, it's counterintuitive. So we need to really sit with this and, and think about, okay, I do want to mature in the other areas of my life, but probably the, the biggest area that I want to make sure I understand to mature in is spiritually, right? Because this is of eternal value, not just temporary. This is eternal. So these are some significant differences of how God matures us in the church. Are you guys with me? So those things I want to just put forward to ponder. I mean, there's probably a, uh, that's not an exhaustive list, but spiritually mature, mature people um, in Christ are going to be brought more into community and have almost instead of a me mentality, have more of a we mentality. Okay. So that's who we want to be. Okay, so we're moving on. So what is God's way? What's the plan? So if that's the problem, is that we can't stay immature, what is God's plan to mature us? Let's read again in our text and we'll see, here's God's plan for maturing us. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ's plan for maturity is that he gives leaders and he gives spiritual gifts to equip the church for works of ministry. That's his plan. Jesus, I don't know why he did it this way. Oftentimes I'm like, Jesus, why did you, why are you at the right hand of the father? Can you please be here helping us? But this is God's plan and his wisdom is that he said, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you disciples are going to carry on. You're going to build the church. You're going to build the church. That's his plan. So my question is, when it says that Jesus gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, who are these people? Who are these people? So in a specific way, Christ gave the church leaders to lay a foundation for us. So in a specific way, who he's talking about is he's talking about the early church leaders in the New Testament. He's talking about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. He's talking about those that laid a foundation for us, but in a more broad way, like a general way, not like a New York Broadway, but like in a general way, in a general sense, Christ still gives and calls and gives leaders to the church today. Okay, so we're going to talk about the specifics and then we're going to talk about the general way today. So in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, it says this. It talks about like how, what we've received in Christ. It says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
okay? So what is he talking about there? He's talking about that as the church, we're the temple of God and that Christ is the cornerstone that the whole church is built off of, but the apostles, he gave the apostles and prophets, they're laying a foundation for us to be built on top of, okay? So think about even when a, when a, when a church or a missionary goes to a part of the world where maybe there's a tribe or a people that have never heard who Jesus is, when, if, if someone there becomes a Christian, even though that's a new place where, they, where the church is now started, they don't start a new foundation there. That is grafted into the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and, the, and Christ as a cornerstone. Does that make sense? So in some ways, what is that foundation? The foundation is the New Testament. So they're, they're, we're gonna get into, hey, you might have a, a specific gifting or calling in one of these five areas, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You might have a specific gifting, but also when you say, you, we're not writing scripture again. Does that make sense? Like we are, we, we are a part of, uh, of being built on top of the foundation that God has laid. And the plan for building up the church is that he laid a foundation with the early church leaders. Okay, you guys tracking with me? I know it's a little technical, but I just, I have these questions and the teacher in me wants to help you understand the scriptures. And so it's talking about the early church leader foundations, but it's also talking about a Broadway that Christ is still giving these gifts today. How do I know that he's still giving these gifts today? I'm just gonna share two scriptures that highlight this. Okay, Acts 20, verse 28, if we put that up. This is Paul talking to the Ephesians church. He's saying, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's not talking to the early church leaders or the apostles, he's talking to just Christians. And he's saying that God has called, he's made you overseers. So there is a calling that God's given to them. Then if you go to Matthew 9, 7, 9, 37, this is what Jesus told his disciples to pray. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, and send out workers to the harvest. Okay, so God is still sending out. He's still calling. He's still giving gifts to the church today. Okay, you guys track it with me? So there's, there's specific foundations and then there is general gifts. So what are some of these gifts that God's given us to help us mature? Okay, so God's plan for maturity. In verse, verse seven of Ephesians says that to each one of us. So it's not just for the church leaders. It's, it's all of us in here. To each one of us, Christ has a portion to gift. Each one of us, Christ has a portion to gift. And there's other places in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 where there's other lists of gifts. This gift list in Ephesians 4 is more like, I would say the banner gifts, the fivefold that in order for the church to mature, mature, these gifts need to be present, okay? So we're gonna go through each one and I want you to prayerfully ask God, is there, a, is there one of these gifts that I have been given that I can use to serve others with, okay? So we're gonna start with the apostolic gift, the apostolic gift. We don't use the word apostle much, or if, we're, if we use it, a lot of times we're referring to the original 12, but apostle just means sent one, it means sent one. If you've heard of apostleship, apostleship, there was actually ships that were sent by countries to be an apostleship that they would take their culture 
and they would start a new foundation in a different context in a different part of the world. Apostleship, kind of interesting. So an apostle is a sent one. Someone who's gifted as an apostle is someone who is sent to extend the gospel of Christ in a different context or maybe in a different generation, okay? So if you're one of these people that has this wiring, a lot of times you are forward-looking and you are a bridge builder, okay? Sometimes this is called like the entrepreneurial gift of the body of Christ, okay? If you, uh, man, our former lead pastor, Zach Daniel, had an apostolic wiring where he had, man, it was so strong, like we didn't need any other apostolic gifts in our, in our staff because of the different ideas that would come up of like, what if we reach this part? And, and it was such a blessing because it was moving us forward. And in fact, our, our Antioch movement is an apostolic movement. I mean, it blows my mind that a small church in Waco they would start, they started their ministry by reaching the unreached in Russia and in Asia, like these small college students. Like that has been in the heart of Jimmy Seibert, the founder. He has an apostolic wire or gifting. When that is operating, the church is pulled forward to help advance, you know? And it's such a gift. But just taken in isolation, some of the dangers is that this missional drive and expansion can leave people hurt in its wake if the other gifts are not included, okay? So with each of these gifts, I'm gonna give you the, the what it is and the positives, and then, hey, what are some pitfalls, okay? So that's the apostolic gift. Let's go to the prophetic gift, the prophetic gift. Prophetic means someone who has insight for God's will and truth for a moment. So insight, what is God saying right now? What is God saying to this person? What is God saying in this context? Sometimes it's something that we pray for and we're, and we're given, but other times it's out of the blue. My wife has a prophetic gifting. There's sometimes where, where God will put certain people on her heart or certain scriptures that will be out of the blue and it's God's insight and God's encouragement for that person or insight into wisdom for that moment, okay? So someone who receives words, scriptures, or images to convey, God, convey God's messages, message to them, that's a prophetic gifting, okay? Uh, so they're concerned with obeying God over the status quo. Sometimes prophetic people uh, can be so, we need to obey God, this is what we need to do right now, uh, that they aren't afraid of disrupting the status quo, but they can be also dissatisfied when they see the church not responding. And so uh, an isolating tendency to disengage can happen if we don't have the other gifts involved. And so just, my wife has a prophetic gift. just want to honor some people in the room. Richard Kreider, I have been, uh, man, Richard, where are you? Man, you use the prophetic gift in a continual way that blesses my life. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Mary Beth DeBrot and Alex DeBrot, they walk in such a prophetic gifting as a married couple to build up and encourage people. And I will say that you might have a gifting and maybe the apostolic, prophetic, or one of these areas. But the thing is, is that we're all called to be sent ones. And we're all called to walk in God, would you give me the gift of prophecy to build up and encourage the church, right? We're all called, but we, we want to honor, we want to give honor when we see certain people walk out in these giftings, okay? So we're going to keep going. We've got three more. Evangelistic gift. Evangel evangelistic gift. The word evangelion means good news. These are people that bring good news. 
And I will just say, if we don't have evangelists, then there's no saints to equip for works of ministry. If we don't have people sharing the good news, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When people share the good news of Jesus, it gives them an opportunity to respond and the Holy Spirit moves in their hearts and makes them born again. It's very exciting, but it's also a gift that I found to be pretty rare uh, and we need it. We need evangelists in our midst. Mark Ziegler, are you here? He might not be here. Mark Ziegler, if you don't know, Mark Ziegler is an evangelistically gifted person. He's someone who loves and has passion for others to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And he lives that out. And Macy McLean, our kids ministry director, she's got this gifting in her. And when you're around them, it, it inspires you, it equips you to move forward and have that kind of compassion. Like, Lord, would you give me a passion for the lost? You know, and a, a downfall for the evangelistic gifts is that they can focus so much on the loss that they can miss the value of maturing and strengthening the church internally, okay? So evangelistic gift. So the next is the pastor or the shepherd gifting. And that's someone who walks alongside and gives guidance and care. They are passionate about nurturing, making connections, protecting. These people uh, are amazing life group leaders and disciple makers. They bring people together in community. Just some of the people that I was thinking about are Kevin and Danielle Palm, uh, Kevin and Bree Cho. Uh, man, I could go al along just so many different people who walk in this gifting of shepherding and caring for people. Uh, it is an amazing gift. But some of the pitfall is that you can value stability and neglect the mission and the need for change, the need for maturity, okay? So that's the pastoral gifting. Then we have the teaching gift, where you understand and explain God's word and you, and you give it to other people. You're passionate about God's word and how it connects with daily life. You strengthen the faith of others as they understand more of Jesus, okay? But, but the more knowledge that you get, sometimes the pitfall is that the dependence on the Holy Spirit or living these things out in community is downplayed, okay? So those are the fivefold gifts. And maybe you found yourself in there or maybe you can just identify who are different people that walk in this gifting. So what do we do with this though? If Christ is the one that gives these gifts, and if we are given these gifts, not for ourselves, but it says we've been given these gifts to equip the saints for works of ministry, to actually serve one another, to speak the truth to one another, how do we practically do that? So that's where I wanna go practically. How do we mature if, if the plan is that we know, number one, that there's a problem if we remain immature, Okay, so how, what's God's plan for us to actually grow in maturity? He's given gifts to the church for us to use. But we can't just have our own gifts individually. We need to be connected as the body of Christ to use them to build one another up, right? So what is a way that we can do that here in the Antioch, at Antioch Dallas? I wanna share just three, three thoughts that I had and then we'll close and we'll respond. Practicals to help us mature together. Number one is that humility is greater than gifting. Humility is greater than gifting. So you might come in and you're like, I know that I have this spiritual gift. Where can I use this in the, in the body? Where can I use this in the church? If humility is not present, then 
it will actually cause more division. Even if your gift is, is of God, you need humility. That's why when he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received, you need to walk in complete humility, be completely humble and gentle. He leads with character. I was thinking about an example of this, actually. I just want to honor a few people in the room. Um, one is uh, Matt Halsefell. Uh, so Matt is an extremely gifted person. He's been walking with Jesus uh, longer than I have and most of the people here um, that call Antioch Dallas home. Uh, I know that for his job, uh, he's a gifted administrator, uh, helps with the waterworks of different cities, and he's been doing that for his whole career. And he came in, he and his wife Sandra came in to serve. And honestly, with his experience and his giftings, and he could have, uh, man, there's a lot of different areas he could have chose to serve in, and we could have used him, but he joined the Welcome Home team. And so the way that he served is in humility. He spent his weekends organizing our closet of napkins and supplies and coffees. On Sunday morning, oftentimes my kids are strewing tacos all about, and I'm like cleaning up after them, but he's saying, hey, I'm, this is part of my role. You don't need to do this. Let me do this. I'm like, actually, they're my kids. I probably should do this. But he's like, no, like, I want to do this. And there's a humility that actually accentuates his gifting. And you know what you see when that happens? The glory of God. You see the glory of God. You see God on display as humility is greater than gifting. I was meeting with a new person uh, who's new to our church. And while we were getting lunch and over burgers, he was telling me his story that he and his family are from Africa. And they came over four years ago. And he was a professor in Africa. Uh, he and his wife actually had several uh, degrees and certifications. Guess how many of those transferred over when they came to the States? None. And so here is this man who felt called to the States, bringing his family over. And he said it was a time of humble beginnings because the jobs that he got were working in warehouses and serving. And yet his attitude, he said it was very challenging. But you know what I saw at that lunch table as he was talking about serving his family and doing it with an attitude to serve Christ? It wasn't pride, it was humility and it was the glory of God. I was like, I don't know you very well, but there, there, there is, Christ is here at this table. This is what Christ wants his church to be. This is a mature man of God right here. And so humility is greater than gifting. And so you might be like, okay, I do wanna figure out what is my gifting mix of these five gifts, okay? And I think that's important, but there might just be the, the greatest way to mature is to humbly serve where it's needed. And just to say, I'm coming in, I'll clean the floor of tacos. I will say hi to someone on Sunday and I will try to remember their name. I will, you know, I, I don't know kids very well, but if there's a need, like I, I, I'll try my best to love them and, and, and teach them the Bible and have fun with them. Like, like where are places for us just to serve because there's a need where humility is present, we become mature. Okay. So it's humility is greater than gifting. The other practical is just honor helps us know our gifts. Honor helps us know our gifts. What do I mean by that? Well, a little bit of my story is that when I was in college, uh, I was invited into a, a life group and it completely changed my life. 
I've shared this before, but there was a fraternity member who got saved and it was the first time I've ever seen someone my age do a 180 and was transformed. Uh, I'd been in a Christian bubble, been in a Christian environment my whole life. It was like, okay, Adam, Adam was a partier. Adam was a class clown. Adam was a motocross racer. And now Adam is a motocross racer, a class clown, and he's talking about Jesus. It was like, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, I've got to know more. And so Adam invited me to his life group. Adam invited me to lunch where we would read the Bible because he had discovered who Jesus was and it was real. And even though I knew the Bible, I'd never experienced anything like this. So after about a year of being in discipleship with Adam, going to life group, I was growing in my faith, but graduation was coming and I was ready to go do business in Dallas and honestly take the highest paying job I could find uh, and be a light for Jesus that way. That was my mentality. I don't know, not very mature, but that's just where I was at. But Adam did something that changed my life forever. I'll probably get emotional just thinking about it, is that he looked at me and he said, Joe, I've really enjoyed just becoming friends, but I see a gift in you um, of being a, a shepherd. And I want you to pray about being a life group leader. And so this was like my junior year. And this life group that we were a part of, it was Adam and two other people. These two other people went on to plant All People's Church in San Diego, and they're still on staff. One of them's still on staff. I honestly, like, <laughs> the, in my eyes, their maturity was light years ahead of mine. And I was like, me be a life group leader? No way. But I agreed to pray about it. And I felt like God said, say yes, this is my invitation to you. And because Adam prayed, because he, he saw that gift in me and he honored it. And he said, hey, would you just pray about serving in this way? He was, I didn't, I didn't agree with him. I didn't think I had any gifts to offer. But as I served, there was something inside of me that was latent, that God unearthed, that was a shepherd gifting to the point where I, it was challenging at first, but I love serving so much. I said, I don't care if I'm in finance or I'm, you know, a janitor cleaning, you know, the floors or wherever, I'm going to lead a small group in some way for the rest of my life because this is what God's made me to do. The way that I learned that was not through a gift test. It wasn't through a book. It was from a friend noticing, Joe, you have this in you and we need it. Would you pray about it? And I didn't see it in myself. And so when we honor others, when we have a culture where we're quick to say, hey, I see this gift in you. I'm so thankful for this. Man, I don't need to remind you that I think most of us undervalue where we're at. We undervalue what we have to offer. And I just wanna say, let's be a people who call out and honor others because it will change the trajectory of people's lives, okay? Okay, and the last thing is to pray. Ask God where he would have you to serve. And this is probably the thing as I was wrestling with this text the most this week, I was talking with Amy. I was like, what is the difference between this and say any other organization or nonprofit? Because every other organization or business or nonprofit, they operate in a way where they try to put gifted people into departments to do certain things to meet their end goal. So I'm like, this just feels so flat. The church should be different. What, what is different? And I think this is different, is that we're not just an organization that looks with manpower and man ingenuity to say, hey, you're good at this, do that. We are connected to the head. 
which is Jesus. And so Christ is still giving and calling gifts that you might not have now, but he might give to you. There's a dynamic uh, interaction at play where we're not an organization. We're not a nonprofit. We are an organism. We are a body of Christ where he is moving in us. The spirit of God is moving in and through us. And so there are things that the Holy Spirit, I believe this year, this upcoming month will put on people's hearts that are not there right now. And that will, will, maybe it's something within the church. Maybe it's something outside the church. I don't, I don't, outside the church. I don't know, but God is in charge. He's at the head and he is the one that placed the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers in the places they need to be. Okay. So let's pray and let's believe God to speak to us. Let's believe that he will lead us and let's walk in humility. Let's honor one another and let's pray and become mature. Okay. So practically, where do I know how to take a next step? If you go to AntiochDallas.org backslash serve teams, you're going to see a, li- uh, uh, an, uh, a list of places where we have teams where you could use your gifts to serve. We have Welcome Home Team. We have Kids Ministry, Worship and Production Team, Life Group Leadership Team. These are the teams that we have right now where there's a need. There's other teams yet to be formed, teams that we've had in the past that we want to bring back that you might be like, hey, I don't see that up there. Yeah, maybe you'll be a part of bringing that to be, okay? But these are the needs right now that we need our church to humbly come and serve in. So I want to ask you to pray where can I serve? Where can I invest at this time? And then there's other ministries. Because when we say, God, make us one with you, make us one with one another, it's not just about Antioch, Dallas. It's about the kingdom of God in Dallas. So there's other ministries and other partnerships that I want to encourage you to, uh, to look into. We have Pure Desire, which is a, a, um, a ministry that's here for, for men to walk in sexual wholeness and, and purity. There's Forerunner Mentoring for kids that, uh, for, for young boys who don't have dads in the Lake Highlands area to be a mentor to them and to minister to single moms. There's Unbound North Texas, uh, which is a ministry that came out of the Antioch movement that fights human trafficking in the name of Jesus. There's International Student Ministry at UTD that Mark Ziegler and, uh, and Krista Tidmore and others are a part of. There's Austin Street Homeless Shelter. So there's other places for us to serve. But I just want to call us up and I just want to stop talking and have us respond to the Lord. So we have the worship team come up. And my hope and my prayer is that through this text, which maybe is familiar to a lot of you, that maybe through the teaching, you understand a little bit more about, okay, what are these individual gifts? God has laid a foundation for us as the church to build off of And he is at the head, still giving gifts, still giving leaders, and that every one of you has a gift. Every one of you has a grace gift to use and and is needed. But humility is greater than gifting. And honor is the best way, as you're connected to relationship, honor is the best way to find your gifting. And we want to pray. We want to be submitted and spirit-led as a church. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I want to invite you just to stand with me as we respond. And I have the prayer and prophetic team up here as well. And maybe you need wisdom saying, I don't know what the next step is, or I'm seeking God on this. And you need someone to pray with you for that. Or maybe, you know, when it says that word equip, that word equip actually means to mend, like you're mending a net. So he's given leaders to mend people 
so that they can be prepared to do works of service. Maybe there's a brokenness or a place where you say, I need God to heal me here in order for me to step in to ministry. Or maybe there's just an area where you're saying, I just wanna submit and, 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 and say, God, my life is yours again. Would you lead me as you will? Whatever it is, I wanna invite you to come to the front, come. Uh, if you need prayer for anything else, you came here all the way on Sunday. Why not just go a little bit farther and get prayer? I mean, we're here for God and that's how he meets people, amen? So I'm gonna pray and just encourage you in whatever way you feel led to respond, to respond to what God's putting on your heart. So Jesus, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you that you are the one giving the gifts. You're giving the leaders. You're giving the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers for the building up of your church, for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry. Jesus, we pray that you would be exalted and you would have your way with us and that we would become mature like you. In Jesus' name, amen.